I'm in jeans, looking like I should be here a little bit more than Friday night. Uh, speaking of Friday night, if you have not watched that, you're going to pull it up. If you pull it up on YouTube, we've kind of cut out the first part. Uh, if you've uh, watched enough of our videos, you've figured out that starting times for us are more of an ish than an absolute rock-solid moment. Uh, I would like to say that that's partly my fault, but I'm pretty sure that bit of inheritance was here before I got here. So that was 10 years ago. So um, the YouTube version has there's like 15 minutes on the, on the Facebook Live one that was just us getting ready and people coming in and, and just kind of being happy to be around family. The YouTube version is cut almost right to the moment that Brother Aaron gets up and starts our night together. If you've not had the time to watch that, it's like two hours and five minutes long. Uh, but it is worth every minute. I have, I mean, I lived it Friday night and went home and I've lis I listened to it the whole thing yesterday while we were working around the house and doing some stuff. I listened to the whole thing again this morning as I was finishing up PowerPoint presentation and things for this morning just to really, I mean, it is a playlist. It is a, a magnificent picture of what God can do. Um, and we're going to start that process on repeat of just showing people hope. That was the whole goal. And uh, I've had people already reach out to me that don't live in our state that have watched it and were just blessed by everything. So bravo, bravo to the music, bravo, the Lancasters uh, that aren't here with us this morning. Thank you again for coming. It was just an amazing night. And being on YouTube and being on Facebook, it's going to be there uh, until they outlaw the gospel and pull all that stuff down. But it is going to be there to partake in over and over and over again. And it was a very powerful night. So again, I hope you're blessed. I hope you are uh, ready for this morning. I could not believe uh, really kind of leaving Friday night what the Lord had already done in the timing of things uh, for this morning's sermon being piggybacked on Friday night. And you're going to see how that makes sense here in just a couple minutes because uh, they really go together. This could, have been, uh, this could have been preached on Friday night and it would have been as smooth as could be with what we were trying to accomplish. So God knows what he's doing. Uh, sometimes I feel like it's a hiccup or a deviation. It's never a deviation for him. There's always something brewing in the background. So where were we? Where have we been in the last couple weeks? Well, uh, last week we talked in the book of Matthew and we just let Jesus speak, right? With the chaos of our culture and the things that were going on, I did not have a word or a story that I could bring about. So we just read the words of Christ. We just looked at how he would speak into our moment. Um, and that's where we were last week. But before that, if you remember, Justin preached Sunday, the, the Sunday before. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then before that, we were into the idea of David, that it should be better than this. And then the week before, we were in King Saul. I want to take you all the way back because we get back into David this morning. So with King Saul, we were looking at the king of fears, right? David had just slaughtered Goliath, and now this king, King Saul, was already upset, angry, irritated, um, he was, um, he felt threatened almost immediately. And so the next story goes into David goes into hiding. And the idea of that sermon was it should be better than this. A lot of us experience that daily or weekly or monthly. You are a year down the road and you just wake up and you think it ought to be better than this. And so we took you into the story of David and then we showed you the story of Jesus. Like David is a wonderful example of sometimes life isn't fair, but it is where we are. It is filled with sinful people, and that's not even our biggest problem. You know what our biggest problem is? It is filled with a sinful heart. 
and my heart must be purged of certain things. So a good and heavenly Father will sit up there and He will allow things that push me to the brink in order to bring me to Him. So at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, you and I can look up and we can know that He has been in charge and He is working for our benefit. Why? Because He loves us. He cares for us. And so if David can run into hiding, if he can be worried about his life, you and I can wake up in the morning and say, you know, this has been hard. I would not have chosen this. It should be better than this. I've made a better plan. I've done better things. I have loved people well. I have planned properly. I have saved. Think about the idea of people that should have been retired a month or two ago that have now added years to their work time because of what's been done to the economy. And I just think, man, there's this person out there sitting right now that for 30 years they have lived below their means. They have saved their money. And the moment they were supposed to be a full-time husband, a full-time father, and a full-time grandfather, they woke up one morning and all of that had been squandered or gone. And now they're looking down the barrel of two or three or five more years of work. I mean... People, like these circumstances exist. They existed in Jesus' life too because that's where we finished that sermon. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He comes up out of the water. They hear from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove and lands on him. There's never been a more affirming statement in all of Scripture than God Almighty to say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the very next story is, He walks into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and then he goes toe-to-toe with the devil. It should be better than this. Christ is that example. It should be better than this. David is fearless. He is faithful. He is friendly. He is fruitful. He is frightening and forgiving. That is the frightening word is the only one that really doesn't fit there. So I just want to take a minute and hit that one more time for you real quick. If you've got good friends in your life, they should be intimidating. Good people aren't doormats. Good people are frightening. Strong people are frightening. Meek people can be frightening. When it's unleashed, it can be harmful and hurtful. The devil knows this all too well. People that are good and strong and authoritative are frightening people. If it goes the wrong direction, it can create tremendous chaos. David is one of those people. This young shepherd boy is already a frightening soul. Why? Because God's hand is on him. And Saul knows in his carnal mind, if this guy turns or twists, if he turns on me, he'll own the kingdom. He's frightening. But listen, you don't want to be around people that aren't. We need some teeth. There's evil going on and you and I need to be able to draw a line. We need to be able to push back. We need to be able to have hard conversations with one another. You and I need to be able to, the guy beside me, the gal beside, I want to know that when it comes time to do battle, they are ready. I want frightening people on my left and on my right. Because there are going to be days in life when you need it. Are they going to dig in? on their knees and pray for you? Are they going to struggle? Are they going to go to bat for you? It's a double-edged sword here. You pick the wrong ones, they'll stab you in the back. You choose poorly, they'll hurt you. 
But that inner circle that is frightening and ferocious and meek, it's under control, it's under Holy Spirit design, that is who you want around you. It's who you want at work, beside you on a project. You look down and you just think, man, if that person wanted to, they'd take my job. But man, they sure are good to have. They take care of business. They do meet right. Man, they, when the time comes and somebody needs to take up for you, you want the frightening person there. You don't want the coward. So there should be a piece of that that you and I are, are building into what we deem to be a godly person. You better believe Jesus Christ was tremendously frightening to everyone around him. So powerful, so authoritative. The, the Pharisees hated him. The Sadducees hated him. The religious people hated him. Those that thought they were good hated him. Those that thought they were sinful were scared of him unless they were absolutely desperate and needed him. Unless they were in a position where if it was, it was him or nothing. Remember the woman with the issue of blood, the lame man, the blind man, the lepers, right? They come out of absolute necessity. They are rock bottom. Help us, Lord, help us. And they come. But that power was held under control. He was meek, not weak. David was innocent, but hunted. And so how in the world could his life, this young man of honor, how could his life be so off course? It's got to be better than this. You woke up this morning in a different America. Some of you young ones right now, 18, 19, 20, I don't know what to tell you. You woke up in a different country than I woke up in 20 years ago. Now, you might be sitting there thinking it ought to be better than this, and you're probably right. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to have to learn some skills. You're going to have to learn how to protect yourself. You're going to have to be really, really careful where you go who you hang out with, even more so than I ever did. At the age of 13, I could ride up and down Elk River on a bicycle from the moment my mom kicked me out of the house till the moment she said, you better be back home. And there was no, this is a different world. And you're going to wake up, and you're going you're gonna to grieve. You're going to hurt. You're going to say, it ought to be better than this. You know what? It absolutely should. But our hope is not in this world. And as much as I love and respect our country, it's not even in our country. The Lord knows what he's doing. And we have to reside in that. So when you wake up and you feel like it should be better than this, just know that that's not an improper response. You can pray that. You can cry that. I can guarantee you Job did as he was struggling with his life. So here we are. 2 Samuel 23. Man, I just opened this one up real good. You're welcome. <laughs> Woo. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. I promise. 2 Samuel chapter 23. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And let me give you 30 seconds on why the timing of this is so good, too. If God didn't admire a warrior's heart, this passage would not be in Scripture. So when you watch our news media castigate and destroy a whole segment of our population that holds the line between good and bad, better check and make sure you remember that God loves a warrior greater love has no man than this and he laid down his life for his friends there are a lot of people that strap a badge on every day that their families pray for them every day and they are being destroyed by a media out of manipulation and political gain this is absolutely on purpose 
just godly men and women being killed in the last couple weeks that have done nothing but try to hold the line between good and bad. And these imbeciles out there that are pitching philosophies that work in a college classroom but don't touch real life are setting all of us up for failure. They work in a college classroom. They don't work anywhere else. They work in theory. If you deny the depravity of mankind, you have set the rest of your life up for failure. People are evil. They are wicked. And there are some that go nose to nose with that every day. A fraction of that has abused it, yes. Justice requires being held accountable for breaking the law. Justice doesn't require castigating an entire segment of people and casting them aside so that evil ones who care nothing about justice can come right into those communities and ravage them. We are being run by imbeciles. God loves a warrior's heart. If not, this passage would not be in there. There is no need for David's mighty men to be shoved into Scripture and immortalized. The need is this, honorable men honor men. Dignified women treasure women. I posted something yesterday, I saw it on Facebook. I wish I could had pulled it up, but I'm crippled, so you just have to deal with me. <laughs> but the idea of sitting at the feet of Jesus, women sit at the feet of Jesus... Gather around women that sit at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because when they get up, and I love the last line, it says they know life is a race, but it's not a competition. Life is a marathon, it's not a competition. I remember watching a, a, one of the guys that's just a brilliant mind, not a Christian, but a brilliant mind. He was on a talk show with a lady, and she made the comment to him, well, why are boys just so much more violent than girls? Why are boys more violent than men, more violent than women? And he said, you've got to be kidding me. They're not more violent than women. There's a different violence. So women destroy each other with character assassination and, and discord and all of these other things. And he just rattled them off. And she said, well, I mean, how do you know that? He said, I've read the literature for 20 years. They're vicious. I've heard stories in this church from the last three years of middle school aged girls being viciously victimized by bullies. But they're just, they're not violent. They just do it over the internet. It's not a big deal. Listen, men of real power bestow power. Men of real power give it. They don't hold it for themselves. Part of the reason is they know in order to achieve more, they need people around them that have power and can use it. David is a picture of that. You see, what Saul was, David was not. What Saul was scared of, David was not. Saul was scared because he wanted to keep the power and be the figurehead. He was terrified that his kingdom was going to go away. David was the exact opposite. He would give it to people and in so he would build his kingdom. God would build his kingdom. Excellent women edify other women. They build them up. They encourage them. Excellent women, I, I pulled that word out of Proverbs 31, an excellent wife, who can find? An excellent woman, who can find? They edify others around them. You are pouring into each other, you're loving one another, and when someone gives you access to a piece of their heart, you don't use it against them later. 
Now, for you young ones, this is a piece that you need to understand. Most of the people your age are not ready to be handed that kind of power. That's why you need a multi-generational church. You need the, the gray-haired warrior that's been there forever. You need someone else's mama that's living life with, with eyes wide open as to a kid your age and what's going on. You need that person in your life as well. You need kids your age, don't get me wrong, but when you're, when you're doling out your information to people that aren't worthy to hold it or, or to trustworthy to have it, and they use it against you, you're in double trouble. So you need older people that you can come to and say, man, I'm really struggling with this. I, I need your help. I need your prayer. I'm getting beat up with this. And that, that older, more mature Christian can look at you. They can pull you aside and they can hold that secret. Look at verse 8 with me. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshub, Bathshebeth, Tachmanite. I really wish I'd taken some pain medicine this morning because when I butcher all these names, I'd have an excuse. This is just absolute Jewish imbecility. He was chief of the three. He wielded a spear against 800 men who he killed at one time. David is honoring the mighty men. What I would tell you and I this morning is honor the extravagant. This is this 800, like really? Just ridiculous, right? I mean, we know the power of God was on the, If the number was 80, it would still be astounding. Honor the extravagant. There will be times in your life when somebody will do something extravagant. Honor that moment. They will give or do something that is above and beyond. That cannot, you, you can't just do away with that. You've got to take that moment and be thankful. Honor the extravagant. How about 9 and 10? And next to him among the three mighty was Eleazar the son of Dodo, son of Ahoi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and he struck down the Philistines until his hand was so weary that his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. Honor the dedicated. You ever had your hands wrapped around something so tight that when you went to let go, they wouldn't, like they wouldn't really go back all the way? I've had a couple times in my life where that's been the scenario. I can't remember what was going on. Probably blocked it out because it was probably terrifying. But you've gripped something so tight for so long, right, that when you went to let go, your hands wouldn't. This guy swung the sword for so long that when the battle was over, he couldn't let go. Honor the dedicated. There have been people in your life that just wouldn't quit. Some of you, that person was in your life before you became a Christian. Ooh, that was the irritating person you hated until the Lord woke your heart up. Like, wait a second. That person that was bugging me, irritating me, jumping on me, in my face. That's the most loving person I've ever been around. Because when I was in chaos, they were God's voice drawing me back. Honor the dedicated. Eleazar swung at the sword for so long that his hand was weary and he couldn't let it go. 
And I love this idea at the last, uh, because we're going to see it again in the, next pa- in the next piece of this passage. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Dedicated people see God work. Dedicated people see God work. Do not despise the day of small things. Just because it's small when you start it, if God called you to do it, do not despise it because it's small. Love it, cherish it, feed it, push it, till it, grow it, and watch God bless it. God honors the dedicated. The story of Dr. Falwell in Lynchburg, Virginia is one that over 40 or 50 years you watched God honor the dedicated and watched him create a vision and and bring it out in full view. Look at verse 11. And next to him was Shammah the son of Agi the Herite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, and there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it. He struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. Honor the crude. So what do you mean by crude? Well, pieces of that idea are natural or unrefined. Honor the crude. There's a ground of lentils. What, run that process with me real quick. What happens if you don't have food? What happens if your army don't have food? This is a crude moment. This is a natural moment. This is if I don't save this plot of land, we're in trouble because we're not going to have food. Those that are willing to provide for you in this life, those that are willing to be crude, natural, down and dirty, when your life is falling apart and they're willing to get in it with you, honor that. Honor that. It doesn't have to just be extravagant. It doesn't have to just be on repeat. Sometimes it's just life. Honor those people. You look at what we're going through right now, it can be the person that shows up to bring you food. Right? It can be the person that shows up to, to care for your children. Again, yesterday, totally floored with the ideas we, as we walked into the pool with, as I walked into the pool with three kids, and I just thought, man, God, thank you. Between my, my family, my church, and this pool, I am surrounded by people that love children. They love them. I mean, even at Elkland, we've got a lot of people that go there, but, but there's a spirit there of kids that love little kids. They're not nasty to mine, even when they probably should be. Like, get out of here, you little rug rat, right? 16 years old, and I'm trying to hit on this girl. Right? I know what you're doing at a pool at 15, I'm like 16, not an idiot. Right? Everybody's picking wives. Better be. But even when they ought to be, they're not. I just think, man, so like the crude, the natural, the unrefined. There are pieces in your life that don't look real great. Honor the people that get in there with you. That is that's an amazing blessing. How about verse 13? We're going to pour it on. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. When a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly. He didn't ask. Don't lose track of that. This is not an ask. This is just a young man crying from the heart. In a safe place. David was at the stronghold. The garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me a drink from the well at Bethlehem that is by the gate. 
Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their own lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. To hear the heart cry of not even help. He didn't need it. It was just a moment your friend hears what's going on and they go above and beyond. And these guys even risk their life to do it. So what do we need to do? You and I need to honor the tender. We need to honor the tender. That text message, that phone call, that hug. That thing that you needed that was just maybe out of nowhere. Maybe it was a longing of your heart. It was, a, it was just a huge picture of how important you were to someone else that they heard your cry, they heard your whisper, and they brought themselves into that moment and they helped it. We need to honor the tender. And you know, the phases of your life are going to need plenty of mighty men and women. You're going to walk, they're not always going to be the same. They're not always going to be there. As you go through life, as you go through these stages, God is going to supply people in the moment where you go. If you move, that's going to happen. He calls you to go here to serve, that's going to happen. There's going to be uh, many people there. And so David keeps going. Look down uh, a little bit. Look at verse 18. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of the 30, and he wielded his spear against 300 men. He killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30, and he became their commander. But he did not attain to the three. Honor those that participate. Honor those that help. Honor those that you can trust to give a piece of your mission to and they run with it and they do it and they teach others how to do it honor those that are participating in your life Abishai is one of those people for David look at verse 20 and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada was a valiant man of Kabzeel a doer of great deeds he struck down two aerials of Moab he also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen and he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaniah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Verse 22, these things did Benaniah the son of Jehoiada and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. Honor the consistent. This piece of the story really kind of bends my mind because this guy has at least three stories that are absolutely amazing and he's not in the top three. I don't understand that, quant that concept, but I understand this. The repetition of his life puts him in a position where the king says, you're in charge of mine. I believe there's a piece here that says when you give access to your life to certain people, you had better have seen them operate on repeat. Benaniah did this, Benaniah did this, Benaniah did this, Benaniah did this. You know what? I need, a, I need a captain of my bodyguard. I need someone to take care of me. You are the one that has been consistent. That is powerful. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your life to people that aren't consistent, especially in the spiritual realm. Let them show you. Let them prove. Listen, 
one of the pieces of our culture that's really kind of cursing us all right now is that we don't see anything through. We don't spend enough time doing anything. We think the microwave ought to cook it and the TV show ought to fix it. That 30-second commercial is going to tell me exactly what I need. This, this kind of stuff takes time. So it's no wonder our relationships stink. It's no wonder young kids can't figure out who can I trust, who can I not trust. These things take time. They need repetition. They need order on repeat. And so David says to Ben and I, you're going to be in charge of saving my life. And then verse 39. Verse 39, Uriah the Hittite. 37 in all. I don't know what kind of soldier Uriah was. But I know this, he was a righteous man. He was Bathsheba's husband. He was the man David brought home to get his own wife pregnant. Remember that story? I don't know what kind of warrior he was. That might have been his first fight that he gets killed in. But he was an honorable man. So he makes the list. That name at the end has always fascinated me. He was... Uriah drunk was more honorable than David sober. That ought to make your hair stand up a little bit. Because if you remember the story, David says, go home. He says, okay. He finds out Uriah sleeps on the doorstep. If my men are fighting, I will not be enjoying my wife. So David says, come back. And he comes back and he has a meal. And David gets him drunk and then sends him home. And Uriah again is found sleeping on his own doorstep. So the third time he comes back and David says, take this to your commander and go back to battle. He holds his own death certificate as he goes back to his commander and he hands it to him. And David says, put him at the front of the line where the battle is the fiercest. Uriah makes the list. I don't know what kind of warrior he was. He makes the list because he was righteous. He was honorable. He was noble. So as they come this morning to play, I'm just kidding, don't stand up, gotcha. I'm mad at all of you right now, and I'm going to tell you exactly why. I skipped a whole book, and nobody even raised their hand and was like, we're out of order right now. From 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel, nobody even said, you are out of order. My OCD is hurt. So let me put this together with you. In a culture filled with pride, in a culture filled with dishonor, in a culture filled with discord, do your people know they're your people? When's the last time you honored anybody that you didn't have to? When's the last time you sent that text? When's the last time you made that phone call? When's the last time you grabbed them and hugged them? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another showing honor see honor honor is a derivative of thankful thankfulness it's hard to corrupt it a thankful heart to God is what draws him in a thankful heart to other people is what draws them in and what what I want the rest of my life to be is this people will do more if you honor what they've already done you can push them as hard as you want. You can exhort them. I love that word, exhortation, like a good coach in your face shoving you to do more. You can do that if you'll come in on the back end like a good dad and say, you did awesome. Is there anything cooler than having your dad say, I'm proud of you? Right? Your grandfather. 
Is there anything cooler than having somebody in this church that you love and respect dearly come up and just put their arm around and say, man, I'm proud of you? Are we going to be people of honor? Because that's the question. How are we doing? And then you say, why am I still going, right? Because I'm tempted to break up with us because nobody raised their hand and told me I skipped the whole book. Nobody. No one objected to this obvious gross jump. Right? The last time I talked to you about David, he was a little shepherd boy running for his life. Now he's on his deathbed and nobody said, we're missing something. It's all right. I love you. I'm going to show you why we did that. Flip back to 1 Samuel 22. Because the title of the sermon was The Rise of the Mighty. All we've seen is what they've already done. This is what brings Friday nights into a clear focus. 1 Samuel 22. David departed from there. Remember, he's running for his life. And he escaped to where? The cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became their commander. And there were with him about 400 men. When I first got to this church, I had several people kick around the idea that we were the island of misfit toys. The cave of Adullam was the island of misfit toys. Right? 400 people are put together. Independently wealthy entrepreneurs and happy souls gathered around David to create his first fighting force. Not even, not even a giggle. Did you all even read that with me, really? Distress. Everyone in debt. And I love this one because they are so life-giving. Everyone bitter in soul. Boy, they are fun to be around. They don't suck the life right out of you. David is in the middle of a mess, and there's no one with him. I need to ask you a serious question. If you're writing your own story, and 400 in distress, financially in debt, and bitter in soul show up, do you not just deviate and go do your own thing? Like, me and the Lord have been good on our own, right? These people are mean and a mess. I'm out. 400. Independently wealthy. Boy, they were going to pay their own way. They were entrepreneurs. They could figure stuff out. And they were just super sweet. No. Not even close. The cave of Adullam. 2 Samuel 23, 13 says, And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of of Adullam. The timing may not be exact, but the repetition of the name feels like something that needs to be pointed out. How many of these in debt, distressed, bitter souls finish their life as mighty men for the kingdom of God and for the friend that when he could have walked away, brought them in? Man, it makes my hair stand up. You know what that tells me? It tells me there's hope for people. Absolute hope for people. The mighty ones just might show up messy. They might need a little TLC. They might need to borrow some of your strength. 
until they're able to give you all of theirs. But if you will love people in that moment, if you will invest when everybody else has walked away, you absolutely may find some of your mightiest of allies found you in your messiest moment or their messiest moment or both of your messiest moments. The cave of Adullam was the island of misfit toys. At the end of David's life, it becomes his hall of heroes. One of his memories from there is when his mighty men did something so magnificent that the name is mentioned again. So what starts in a mess, what starts in chaos, what starts as the dregs, turns into those that would never leave him. David's life could not have been accomplished on its own. God knew that. He started surrounding him with people that when David had finished loving them, he was such an honorable young man, they looked at him with, with, with an awe of what he had done. They gathered around him. and He just started, started polishing up messes, creating warriors, loyal to the point where they could hear him cry for a drink out of a well and they would risk their own life to get it. Loyal to the point where they would stand in any gap and fight any battle. Friday night we talked about the idea of hope the whole time. Friday night we talked about the idea of this messy culture that we're living in. This morning I want to give you the rest of that story. You've really just seen it. They were in debt. They were hurting. They were outcast. They were bitter. They were a drain. They were hard. And they finished faithful. They poured themselves back into the life of the one that just for a moment they needed some hope and someone to believe in them. He had done that and they reciprocated. And I love the idea that some of the people in your life, they need to borrow a little bit of your strength. But by the time it's done, when the interest is paid, they will have given you all of it back plus everything else they have to offer. There are people out there. That's what the gospel does. That is exactly what the gospel does. They can't hold their own water. They can't keep their own life straight. And Jesus turns them around, shakes them up, turns them loose. Don't discount where you may find your mighty people. We've got a lot of people in the medical field at our church, and I thought about that this morning, just where you would run into someone like this. Some of you have had uh, appointments with people that were at their worst, just totally down, totally broken. They didn't even know if they were going to be living later. There are mighty people that are coming out of those places that your extra care and your extra attention may lead to something special. It may lead to something that when your next need comes up and you look back or you look at that phone, the person calling you is the one that was at their lowest just moments ago. And man, God has done a work. And so when you need to fall into someone or when your heart cries out to someone, it is that exact same person that was sitting there letting you listen to everything they were going through. It's an amazing piece of what God can do. Now, I'm not mad at you anymore. We're going to get over it. We're not breaking up. Unless somebody slipped me a note, I don't know. As they come this morning to play, between Friday night and this morning, 
there are some people right now that look like a mess. Do not discredit the idea that tomorrow or a year from now, they may be the person that's helping you do this, helping you do that. They may be the person you have to call and say, man, I am struggling with this, and that person knows exactly what you're talking about. So when those moments come up, don't discount what you see right in front of you. Don't discount your moment and don't discount theirs. Because if the cave of Adullam was the spot where David found these rough individuals that become his mighty men, what's your cave of Adullam look like? Where one day you'll look back and bless it. You'll have sweet memories of it. Because in that moment of, of hellish chaos, God gave you a heavenly blessing. And a good friend, a mate for life, something amazing. If you want to stand this morning as they play, if you want to come and you need something, you let us know. If you want to come and pray, of course, the altar is always open.